All right, all right, all right. I got to tell you, when I hear that song, I get so pumped up. I get so pumped up. You know, during the years that I was struggling and I was trying to find my way out of the wilderness and find out about God and I'm hearing all this stuff, songs like this would come on the radio, and when I felt discouraged, it would just give me that pick-me-up. That's McFadden and Whitehead. Ain't no stopping us now. Hey, I'm your humble host, Dr. Richard Gladiator Johnson, the Dapper Donna Spiritual Kung Fu, often imitated, never duplicated. And this is the PowerPoint to Victory Radio Podcast. We're podcasting on the Survival Radio Christian Network. We do radio two million downloads strong. My engineer tonight, Rosalind Cooper. We've been tag teaming so long, Roz, it's like it's 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 like left foot, right foot, huh? <laughs> yes, the twelfth of June, two thousand and twenty. And uh, we just want to remind everybody, wear those masks, social distancing, stay safe, okay? People are moving around, but that virus is still out there, all right? God always says wisdom, wisdom in all you're getting, get wisdom. And being safe from corona is the wise thing to do, all right? So um, let's bring things up to speed. We, uh, We have been for many, many broadcasts. We've been referring to the fact that there are errors in translations in the Bible. And I've been mentioning to people that there's a special someone whom God has blessed me to meet. And when God's opportune time, we would have an opportunity to be able to meet this gentleman and have him come on the show and speak about his knowledge and so forth. So we're going to have him on after the first commercial break. This is Pastor, well, former Pastor Keith Giles, and um, we'll give his introduction when we come back so we have everything in one compact uh, package, but we just want everybody to know 563-999-3084, okay? You're going to want to pump that number out to people. We're going to be taking the commercial break. I want you to get the number out. This is someone you want to hear what this gentleman has to say. He was in the churches, just like I was. And just like me, he came to a place where he walked away. But we did not walk away from God. We simply walked away from church. This gentleman has four books. We'll talk about them briefly when we come back uh, after the commercial break. We'll introduce the names of these these books and so forth. But I just want to kind of, you know, like when you when you go to Costco's and them stores and, and the person is there and, and they've got that the, the little uh, tray of, of hors d'oeuvres or whatever, and they say, here, try these, you know. So we're just kind of giving you some of these. Try these. 563-999-3084. Listen live. And uh, we'll be right back. Roz, let's go ahead. Let's take our first commercial break. Dr. Richard Gladiator Johnson, the Dapper Don of Spiritual Kung Fu, my very special guest, author, four best-selling books. Not one, not two, not three, four best-selling books. Author Keith Giles, he'll be back. With me, after this commercial break, don't go away. Roz, you got the helm. If your company needs a voiceover professional, call me at 646 504 
646-504-1376. I'm Dane Reed. That's 646-504-1376. I'm there for you when you need live announcing for events, company voicemails, commercials, professional voiceovers for important videos, voicemails, and anything else your company might need. Call me at 646-504-1376. Interested in doing voiceovers? I also do consultations. Looking for a cafe with a home-like appeal where all who enter feel like they are part of something? Visit My Coffee Shop, located in East Lake, Atlanta, Georgia. MCS has a full breakfast and lunch menu, offering both hot and cold options, and is home of the amazing basil lemonade. But don't forget their assortment of freshly brewed coffees. Come on by at 2462 Memorial Drive, Atlanta, Georgia, 30317. We're pretty sure My Coffee Shop at East Lake will become your coffee shop, too. You may have heard the phrase, deals are done on the golf course, but do you know how that happens? The book Nine Holes, Nine Goals will provide hole-by-hole guidance on what to do and mistakes to avoid during a round of business golf. Pre-order your copy today at nineholes9goals.com because closing deals on the golf course is no longer just a phrase. You can do it too. SRN Survival Radio Network. All right, we're back from our first commercial break. It's the uh, 12th of June, 2020. It's just after 10 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. That's uh, the Eastern Seaboard of Canada, the Eastern Seaboard of the United States, and the entirety of the Commonwealth of the Bahamas. That would be 0200, just after 0200, Saturday morning, Greenwich Mean Time, UTC, for my international listeners. This is the PowerPoints of Victory Radio podcast. I am your humble host, Dr. Richard Gladiator Johnson, the Dapper Donna Spiritual Kung Fu, often imitated, never duplicated. And my engineer tonight, Rosna Cooper, and we're going to get right into the meat of the matter. We have a very, very, very special guest. We are honored to have this gentleman taking time out of his very busy schedule to spend an hour with us to talk about his walk with God and the information and the studies that he's done about Scripture, about walking with God, and uh, programs that he has to help people get away from church and get in with God and following Jesus and so forth. But I'll let him explain it better than me. Uh, This is Mr. Keith Giles. He's a former pastor who abandoned the pulpit to follow Jesus and ended up founding a church where, wait for it, 100% of the offering is given away to help the poor in the community. He is the author of several best-selling books, including Jesus Untangled, Jesus Unbound, Jesus Unveiled, and also Jesus Undefeated. And he lives with his wife, Wendy, and they're out in Texas, uh, where they currently serve as program directors for Peaceful Catalyst International. So we want to go ahead and welcome Keith to our show. By the way, his blog, so you can find all of the the mounds of, of work and information that he's doing and, and access to his books is www.keithgiles.com. That's K-E-I-T-H-G-I-L-E-S.com. 
And um, after no further ado, Keith, welcome to the show. Oh, my goodness. Thank you so much. Uh, it's awesome to be uh, your guest on the program tonight. I'm uh, excited to talk about this, uh, some pretty important topics. Uh, yes, it is, especially at, I think, at, at this time in our country, you know, in the United States, when I say our country, because the United States, you know, my personally, just so people understand, my bloodline is, you know, Caribbean and, and the United States. So this is our country, and we're going through something, and a lot of people are confused about the church and God and so forth and so on. So let, let's start with, why did you walk away from, from being a pastor? Well, yeah, um, so I, the decision was, I think, um, I would say I was sort of led by the Spirit, you know, how the Spirit led Jesus uh, out into the wilderness, right? Uh, it kind of felt like that. So I was serving at a church in Southern California at the time. Uh, my wife and I had helped uh, some friends of ours to plant this church. We served there for about three and a half years and uh, loved it. I mean, it was, it was a, overall, it was a good experience, but we started feeling God was calling us initially uh for our family to step away and, and plant a church. And so we were, we were praying about that and excited about that. And then um, after we kind of said, okay, God, we'll do that. Uh, we'll, we'll step away and start this new church. Um, then we felt like God was saying that he wanted us to start a church, as you mentioned, that would give 100% of the offering away to the poor in the community. And uh, we were excited about that. But, of course, we had no idea how in the world we were going to make something like that work. Uh, and then what we finally figured out, the, way, the only way to make it work was if we just met in homes. You know, we didn't have any rent. We didn't have to you know, rent a building or anything like that. And if I just got a job like everybody else in the real world, um, the amazing thing about that decision, though, was when we did that, um, you know, I used to think of being in the ministry full time as being on staff at a church. Um, but what I found out was being in ministry full time was going to work every day with ordinary people. Uh, and rubbing shoulders with them and, and going through my life like everybody else. That was ministry full-time. That was full-time, 24-7, you know, uh, eight days a week. And, uh, and really, there was nothing like it. And uh, we did that. We did that for 11 years. I uh, had a, a church that met in our home and different homes or uh, different people around Southern California. We did give 100% of the offering to the poor in the community. Uh, we also helped to start a, a church called a motel church that met in the back parking lot. Uh, of a church in Santa Ana, California, and we partnered with other churches to do that, um, you know, provided free groceries to them, um, uh, did also some ministry to the homeless that were living there around Angel Stadium in Anaheim, California, and um, so we were, that's what we were doing, and like I said, we I left the pulpit to follow Jesus, because I did a whole lot more following Jesus when it wasn't my job than... Um, you know, than I did when it was something that I had to do and wake up in the morning and go to a go to a church and participate in sort of a sermon and a song business church as a business kind of a, a ministry and that that just honestly for me it became more and more something I just didn't feel like I I should be a part of so yeah that's what we did and and I'm I'm very glad we did it. Wow, that's 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 absolutely amazing. So. I, I I really I'm looking at these books, um, and what what led you to begin to write? You know, I've I've got as you know you and I spoke earlier today, and you know I mentioned to you that you know I'd gone through some stuff and I was led to to write. So I I know from personal experience, writing one book is like really you know some work. You've done four of them. What led you to begin to write? 
Yeah, well, you know what? Honestly, Richard, I feel like I've always been a writer. I've, I've been a writer really since I could hold a crayon <laughs> or a pen, you know. Uh, as a young boy, I was mm-hmm. always writing stories and things like that, fiction. Then uh, later on, I wrote science fiction and all that. And then um, I actually wrote, before the four books you mentioned, I actually self-published about six books before I even wrote that the Jesus Un series, the Jesus Untangled, Unbound, Unveiled, and uh, Undefeated. Um, but specifically those four books, um, the reason I decided to write Jesus Untangled was, um, well, really, I just kind of went through some personal um, realizations of my own. I think the Holy Spirit just kind of spoke to me, and I started to show me that I was more American than Christian, that I really didn't know where my politics ended and my uh, my faith began. And that was a bad thing. That was not a good thing. And so, you know, I, I was raised um, – Raised in a in a conservative uh, Christian home, uh, you know, I voted Republican straight ticket, starting with Reagan um, for my whole life. Uh, I was a member of the NRA. I thought Rush Limbaugh was great. I listened to his program. I read his book. Um, you know, I, I thought you couldn't be a Christian if you didn't vote Republican. All of that. I mean, I, I had it pretty bad. Um, but uh, slowly, uh, like I said, I felt like God started showing me some different things about my 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 faith that it was really really entangled with politics and it was not a good thing and so I had to I had to recognize for example that the kingdom of God uh, and the American Empire are two very different things uh, that you really really can't follow Jesus uh, and your political um, you know uh, agenda your political party uh, mainly just because they're not going the same direction you know. You can only follow uh, two people if they're both walking the same direction. But if one's going north and one's going south, you're going to have to make a decision. You, who, who are you going to walk with, right? Where are you going to go? And for me, I had to recognize that um, I made that decision. I felt like I needed to, uh, as I say, the subtitle to Jesus Untangled is crucifying our politics to pledge allegiance to the Lamb. And that's exactly what I had to do. Uh, I walked away from politics, anything to do with politics, Um I mean, I briefly swung the pendulum over to the uh, sort of the Democrat side. I, I voted for Obama. I kind of thought, well, I'm just going to leave conservative Republican life, and I'm going to just swing the other way. And I did that for a little while, and what I recognized was they're exactly the same. You just change the words. You change the bad guys. You change the people you don't like. But otherwise, it's the same exact thing. It, it, bottom line, these political parties in America uh, really manipulate Christians of either the left or the right, they pick certain topics, certain you know things like abortion or on the on the Republican side, uh, abortion or, or gay marriage, uh, and maybe on the Democrat side it's poverty and you know uh, things going on in the inner city and things like that. Um, but those political parties only really use those issues. I call it the shiny red button. It's it's something that they can plug it in, turn it on, and, and it makes people vote for them. But when the election's over, they unplug the, that thing, and they put it back under the table, and they wait till the next election. They're not really interested in solving these problems because the minute they solve the problem, you've got no reason to keep voting for them. Um, anyway, so there's a lot of reasons why I talk about that in the book, why I, I felt like I needed to walk away from politics. And so that was the first book in that series. And then I, you know, from there I, I wrote – Jesus Unbound, which looked at the scripture, um, and all the books that I've written really are based on the things I myself have uh, learned and uh, how the ways I've grown 
the ways I've learned how to rethink my faith. And um, I've tried to just really be uh, hold the things that I believe loosely, not to let the cement get too hard, not let it dry. Um, but be someone who's always asking questions, always open to listening. Um, you know, I don't think I've got all the answers, and I do think I have learned a lot, but I also know I've got a lot more still to learn, and that's why I'm still writing books. So. That's amazing, and it's interesting that you that you bring out those points because um, I studied uh, with many different uh, denominations, organizations over the years, and the Jehovah Witnesses was one of those that for a time – I was studying with them, and they don't even vote. You know, they they don't they don't get involved with politics at all, and right. that's one of the main things that they point out is that you know, it's if you're going to have to choose one side or the other, but if you're really getting into politics, you, to do that you got to get away from God. You, you can't you can't be in both worlds uh, uh, simultaneously, as you point out. So let me ask you this, Keith. So you have the the Jesus. Untangled, and that's basically your experience of untangling yourself from from the American drama. I guess we can call it that. Sure. And, yeah. and then you have G, you have Jesus Unbound. What if someone was to? So, so I guess the first book is Jesus Untangled. So they they learn that. Then Jesus Unbound, I guess, is the next one. Yes. Uh, yeah, that book was, um, to be honest, uh, the second chapter in Jesus Untangled, I, I have a whole chapter, the second chapter of that book, where I talk about the difference between, uh, I talk about there's sort of two perspectives of looking at the scripture, and I, and I talk about how one way of looking at scripture is the flat Bible perspective, which honestly is the way I was raised. Uh, I wasn't told there was any other way to look at the Bible, which was that there's, uh, you know, there's like one book, it's called the Bible, it says author, God. And, you know, God dropped it out of the sky, wrapped in Corinthian leather, and it's just this one big, holy, perfect book. And every uh, – the flat Bible perspective assumes that every book of the Bible has equal weight and authority to all the other books in the Bible. That's why it's called a flat Bible. Um, that's how I was raised. Um, then I started realizing there was another way to look at the scriptures, and that was a Jesus-centered perspective. So I just briefly touched on that in my book on politics, Jesus Untangled. Uh, just so I could help readers understand the way I see things and the way I look at Scripture, just so they would understand where I'm coming from. But honestly, I had so many people ask me about that chapter in that book, uh, I thought, you know what, I should, make an, I should write an entire book um, about Scripture and the way we look at it, what it is and what it isn't. So I think that to, to summarize that book, I would say this. Um, I've noticed that many Christians tend to almost worship the Bible. They tend to uh, exalt and elevate the Bible to a place that sort of begins to eclipse Jesus himself. Um, for example, if I can real quick, let me just say this. If I ask the average Christian, um, what is your foundation for truth? They'll say the Bible. If I say to them, um, you know, what is, the, um, what is the foundation for your faith? Uh, they would say the Bible. Um, if they, you know, if I said, you know, where, where is it you would look for, uh, for wisdom and, and, uh, and authority, right? Where's, where's the Christian's ultimate authority come from? They would say, well, from the Bible. Well, the problem with answering that, those questions that way is that that contradicts the Bible. The Bible says that uh, a Christian's ultimate authority is Christ. Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, not the book about me. Um, Paul says that there is no foundation that can be laid except the one that has already been laid, and that is in Christ, not in the Bible. Um, 
Jesus himself says, I am the way and the truth and the life, right? So Jesus is the truth, not the scriptures. Um, on and on and on, the scriptures themselves, this is critical. The scriptures themselves never, ever point us back to themselves. The scriptures never point us to the scriptures. The scriptures always point us to Christ. And that's the danger, because I think Christians, many, many Christians I know, have essentially turned the Bible, uh, they, they treat the Bible like this. It's like making the map the treasure. It's like pretending that the menu is the meal. And that's a huge mistake, because when you do that, if you treat the Bible like it itself is not a map to the treasure, but you say, no, no, it is the treasure, well, guess what? You don't get the treasure. You just get the map. And you get to pretend that it's the treasure. Uh, all, the, all the while, you've missed the, the, real, the real treasure. And the same with making the Bible, which is a menu, into the meal. You know, that's not going to fill you up. That's not going to be good for you. And, it, and eventually, if you keep eating that, you're going to die. Jesus himself said this, there is no life in the Bible. He told the Pharisees, you search the scriptures because you think in them you'll find life. Wrong. Jesus says, you refuse to come to me and have life. Life is in Christ. And so that's what that book is all about. It's trying to help us understand the right way to approach the Scripture. Now, I love the Bible. I read it. I study it. I've written books about it. I read it every day. I really do love the Bible. But I don't worship the Bible, right? Uh, I worship the one that the Scriptures point me to, which is Christ. Um, when God, when God um, you know, wanted to speak to us, uh, the word, the logos that he spoke was not a book. It was a person. It was Jesus. God didn't send us a manual to read. He sent us Emmanuel who would abide in us, that we could also abide with him. That's what that book is about. Wow, that's, that's, that's very powerful. That, that, that is, especially the key point that you make about people worshiping the book as opposed to uh, worshiping with Christ. You know, John 1, yeah. 14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. You know, people seem to miss that point. I, yeah. I think that's, that's <laughs> very <laughs> – I, I kind of bang that out every, almost every, every week on, on, on my podcast. Uh, another question then would be – so that's your two books, and I'm checking our time because, you know, we have some other things we want to get into. So then your third book, uh, Jesus – I'm having to read my notes. Bear with me, people. Everybody knows I'm a 19th century guy catching up with 21st century technology. Jesus, uh, we have Jesus Untangled, Jesus Unbound, Jesus Unveiled. So yes. what does the reader glean from that book? Right. I'll, I'll, be, I'll give you the short one on that. So that book is a, a book that I um, – it's really my house church experience. It's, it's really uh, how I came to understand really a, a very – first century New Testament way of approaching the church. Again, the idea of this is that uh, according to what we see in the scriptures, um, the church is not a building. Uh, A church is a people. Uh, The definition of church is God plus the people of God, and that's it. Whenever you have God and you have God's people in the same place at the same time, that's church. And it could be Starbucks. It could be your living room. It could be, you know, um, anywhere, really. It doesn't matter. In other words, it's less about uh, where you meet or even how you meet, it's more about what happens and who you meet with uh, when you meet together. And so we, uh, you know, we did this house search for about 11 years, and um, 
Our goal was to not have meetings about Jesus. Our goal was to have meetings with Jesus. And uh, we did, and it was beautiful. It was still one of the most amazing things I've ever experienced in my life. Uh, and this book is a very practical book. It doesn't only explain um, sort of the why we should gather this way, a very simple way, the way that early Christians did, um, but also very practically explains how, because um, there's not a lot of books out there that really explain how to have these sorts of meetings with Jesus. And um, that's what that book looks at. And it's really my own personal story. Uh, a lot of mistakes that I've made, uh, I kind of pass them along to the reader. So you don't have to make the same mistakes I did. <laughs> so it's sort of like a manual for those who were led to meet uh, outside of or in, in deference to, uh, shall we say, for want of a better term, organized church. Exactly right. Yep, that's exactly what it is. Okay, so so, that, so instead of them having to reinvent the wheel, they can read that and get get a uh, an idea of how how what you learned in your journey of 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 being led of the spirit to put together the organization that your wife and you have put together and assisted other people in putting together as well. Right. Yes, that's exactly right. And I we've been working um, ever since then. Um, we've been helping other people start similar groups around the country. Uh, we started one in Idaho uh, last year. Uh, we just moved to El Paso, Texas, and we're looking. Once this pandemic is over and we can actually meet with people face-to-face, we're looking forward to getting something started like that here in El Paso. Okay, okay, okay. See, you know, you wait on God's scheduling, and then everything comes to pass. And I say that, Keith, because, I, you know, I've been, doing, I've been on Survivor Radio Christian Network since May of 2014. And some circumstances have come up, and the the station is kind of going into a, a hiatus for a while. And here mm-hmm. it is, we're getting together, and you're bringing like in one episode, as it were, things that I've been, you know, led to speak about and reach out to to people to let them know that you know meetings you don't have to go to buildings, you know, to 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 be with God. You can be that person out in the street and you're struggling. You can be wherever you may be, you know, you can make that your 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 walk with God until you meet others, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yes, exactly right. Yep, that's exactly what we found. And then uh, there's the last book, Jesus Undefeated. And and again, um, you know, can if you when your readers get to that place, because what I'm gathering is you were led to put these books together to help people walk through what I'm going to refer to as a wilderness experience from being an organized church and, or being out there and trying to get their walk together like A, B, C, and then D. So it's kind of best if, 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 if they kind of digest that in, in that order using your illustration of food. You know, you have the hors d'oeuvres, then you have, you know, the little appetizer, the main course, the dessert. So I guess the dessert, quote unquote, is your Jesus undefeated. When, when they get to that, that particular point, uh, what can they gather from there? Yeah, Jesus Undefeated is a book that, honestly, my publisher asked me to write this book. I actually did not intend to write this book. It wasn't on my personal list of, of things I was going to do, but he convinced me that I really needed to write a book about uh, the doctrine of hell because so many people struggle with this uh, doctrine. Christians are struggling with it, and even people, a lot of people I know are 
uh, don't want to be a Christian because they don't want to they don't want to believe in a God or worship a God that would send children to hell for eternity and torture them. So uh, it's a pretty pretty big topic. And so uh, I you know I, I thought about it and I prayed about it and I thought you know what you're right. Uh, I'll go on and write this book. And so the most important thing about this book it is about the doctrine of hell. But I'll just briefly tell your listeners something about this topic of hell that most Christians do not know. Okay, this is just looking at history. These are facts of history of the Christian church, of Christianity, okay? From the very beginning, there have always been three Christian biblically-based views of hell. Those three views are uh, the one we all know of, eternal torment, the idea that people die and suffer and burn, burn in hell forever. Uh, the other view is annihilation, which means that those who die apart from Christ um, are destroyed. They're burned up, and they cease to exist forever and ever. And then the third view is what's called patristic universalism or universal reconciliation. And that's the view um, that everyone who dies, not just people who are not Christians, Christians and non-Christians, every human being who has ever lived, when they die, they pass through the fire. And as Paul mentions in, in uh, 1 Corinthians, that even when they pass through the fire, um, what happens is if, if there's any gold and silver and precious stones, the fire reveals that, but he also says if, if it's all burned up and there's nothing that's good, it, he still says, yet they will still be saved, even as those who pass through the fire. And there's many, many other verses in Scripture that support this idea that um, ultimately every single human being who, who has ever lived will eventually uh, be restored and renewed and transformed. Jesus says, I'm making all things new, and he will, including everyone that's ever lived, and everyone will eventually uh, be restored uh, to God. And so that's the first thing. Most Christians don't know there's, there have from the beginning always been three Christian views. Now, the second thing that also you need to know is that of those three Christian views that have always been there, for the first 400 years of church history, the majority view was universal reconciliation. The minority view was eternal torment. And again, most Christians, that blows their mind. What do you mean? For the first 400 years, the majority of Christians did not embrace eternal torment. Uh, and, and I and explain in the book historically where this doctrine of hell came from. By the way, it doesn't appear anywhere in the Old Testament. It does not exist in the Old Testament. There is no Old Testament verse that says anything about eternal torment. Uh, and and uh, in fact, it crept in to the Jewish faith, what we call the intertestamental period. This is from the, the end point of writing the Old Testament scriptures to the coming of Christ, that's the intertestamental period, um, before Jesus shows up, it, it crept in from Egyptian and pagan sources. So it doesn't come from the Bible. It doesn't come from the prophets. Um, and actually, Jesus actually says nothing about it either. Now, a lot of Christians think that he does, but that's what I show in the book, is that these verses we've been told are about hell, are actually not about where anybody goes after they're dead. Um, and so that would take much longer for me to explain in this call to go into, but the book breaks all three views out one by one, looks at scriptures for all three views, um, and makes a, a case for two things. One, eternal torment is not taught in the Bible, and two, uh, universal reconciliation actually aligns much closer to what Jesus and Paul specifically teach in their writings and in their teachings.
content creator, social media socialite, influencer, or simply love to record current events, you need the joystick. The joystick is an essential tool for every type of digital content creator. It holds two or more mobile phones or tablets, allowing users to stream and record hands-free on multiple apps simultaneously. And it's lightweight and portable. For more information or to purchase your joystick today, visit our website at www.joystick.com. Do you have tax issues, owe back taxes, or need tax relief? Contact L&B Tax Service today. L&B offers you over 15 years of expertise and first-class tax service for individuals, professionals, and business owners. With nationwide service, you can easily find a location near you. Contact one of our tax professionals through our website, lbtaxservice.com. That's www.lbtaxservice.com. L&B Tax Service Incorporated. Tax professionals that you can trust. Do you have a business, product, service, or an event coming up? Is your current marketing getting you nowhere? Survival Radio Network is an award-winning network with over 1 million downloads. We're offering high-exposure 30-second spots on our network, reaching diverse demographics both locally and nationwide. Give us a call at 323-977-8172 or visit our website at www.survivalradionetwork.us today. SRN. We do radio. The S-R-N. Okay, we're back from our second commercial break. I am your humble host, Dr. Richard Gladiator Johnson, the Dapadonna Spiritual Kung Fu, often imitated, never duplicated. Uh, my engineer tonight, Rosalind Cooper. This is the Survival Radio Christian Network. We do radio 2 million downloads strong. And uh, the show is, as always, Friday nights, 10 to 11 p.m. Eastern, 0200 to 0300 hours Greenwich Mean Time, the PowerPoints of Victory podcast radio show. And I have a very special guest tonight, Mr. Keith Giles, uh, author of four wonderful books, bestsellers. Uh, let me say them once again. Let me read my list. Jesus Untangled, Jesus Unbound. Jesus Unveiled, and Jesus Undefeated. And uh, you can locate him on the Internet at www.keithgiles.com. Let me spell that out for you. K-E-I-T-H, that's capital K, and then capital G-I-L-E-S.com, keithgiles.com. So, Keith, you you mentioned before we went into the commercial break about how uh, there are some things that have crept into Christianity that have come from outside of, of, of the scriptures and so forth. And I, I kind of want to, you know, since we've kind of looked down that cul-de-sac, I sort of want to, I'm being led to go down that road. Um, Richard, yeah. I think it's Dr. Richard Carrier, um, who I believe is agnostic, but he's done a lot of research on um, how there were many uh, Hellenistic-related religions during the time uh, that Christianity as a faith was created, I guess, around the time of 325 A.D. and that type of thing. Um, What originally caught my interest, my peak, what piqued my interest with you, was that you mentioned that, like, say, for example, homosexuality doesn't show up in the New Testament uh, the English uh, translations until after World War II, 1945-1950. Can we talk a little bit about 
how trustworthy the Bible is. And, and before I let I, I drop the mic, I recall when I was doing my doctorate that, um, you know, there's like 14 books from the 1611 King James that are not in the, you know, 1960 King James. They're not there now. Uh, there are, uh, let's see, missing sections of some of the Gospels. Um, and there was something else that uh, I wanted to raise. Even the uh, first chapter of, of Revelations, when you read it now, it's different than it was 30 years ago. So can we can we enlighten us on that, if you would, sir? Well, yeah. Um, these are things I do touch on this in Jesus Unbound, because that, that whole book's about the Bible. Yeah, um, it is shocking. Um, I think the biggest problem uh, really – well, let me back it up. The main thing your listeners need to understand is what you just said, is that um, when you're holding an English Bible, it doesn't really matter what translation it is, King James, ESV, NIV, NAS, NASB. Uh, there's all kinds of different translations of the Scripture. Some are better than others. But, but all of them suffer from a similar problem, which is this. It's translated into English. And um, quite often, these English translations, uh, the translators, the people who do, who do the translating – from Greek or Hebrew into English, um, they quite often have preconceived ideas. Let's put it that way. Uh, you might say an agenda, on, or maybe in another level. So when they come to certain passages, um, even if it clearly says something, but if it but it says something that challenges or calls into question something that they hold dear, uh, they will tend to uh, you know adjust or slightly shift or change the way they translate certain words or certain scriptures, certain phrases, uh, because it leads to, a, to the agenda that they prefer. Um, and so, again, I talk about this in my book, um, Jesus Unbound, um, and I give some examples. So some examples, as you said, are like the word homosexual uh, didn't appear in any English translation of the Bible until 19, I think it was 1946. Um, and uh, that was the uh, Revised Standard Version uh, translation. Uh, you have to understand the reason why the word homosexual dropped in, showed up at that point. It, it is not at all based on any scholarship. It's not because the Greek scholars involved in looking at these passages in the New Testament scriptures, in First Corinthians specifically, um, it's not because they looked at these words. By the way, there's two different words in the Greek, and both were translated homosexual. Neither one of them actually means homosexual. Um, and so the reason why they would do that is not because of scholarship, not because, oh, let's look into the Greek and, and oh, actually, you know what? We were wrong. This word does mean homosexual. Let's change it. No. Uh, they just added it in there because it, it was something that advanced uh, a bias within that denomination of, the, of those guys that were doing the translation. And it ends up then becoming something where now all modern translations um, will translate that, those, those two words, arsenikotai and malakoi, and it will translate those two words as homosexual. But neither one of those words uh, are anything close to homosexual. For example, in the, um, in the King James uh, translation, and I'm no King James only guy, so don't worry about that, um, but it's just an example of one of the earliest English translations is the King James translation. And when, when it translates um, those passages in 1 Corinthians, uh, Arsenokotai and Malakoi, uh, it translates them as pedophilia and uh, men who are effeminate. Neither one of those have anything to do with same-sex relationships. 
through same-sex, loving same-sex, you know, relationships, which we would call homosexuality. Um, and this is just one example of how some things kind of creep in and they just kind of get translated certain ways. So there's also examples of how women uh, have been subjugated over the centuries uh, because certain passages. Uh, for example, there's one in First Timothy where Paul gives instructions to how they should choose deacons or elders in the church. And it starts off talking about the men, and the men should be this way and that way and the other. And then there's a passage right after that where he says, well, if you're reading most English translations, it'll say, likewise, the wives, meaning the wives of the men. But in the Greek, it's actually the word for women. And here's how we also know that there were women deacons, because elsewhere in Acts, especially, but in all of Paul's letters, he constantly mentions, you know, Tabitha, Dorcas, Phoebe, um, Priscilla, on and on and on. Uh, he mentions many women by name, and he calls them diakonos, deacons, elders. Um, women were, we know this historically, women were in the early church serving predominantly as deacons. In fact, uh, I always kind of make this comment. The majority of, quote-unquote, pastors named by name in the New Testament are all women. You know, it's the church that meets in Lydia's home. It's the church that meets in uh, Tabitha's home. It's the church that meets in Dorcas's home. Um, it's the women. Uh, so women were very, very honored by Jesus and honored by Paul, uh, the real Paul. But unfortunately, some of uh, the writings attributed to Paul, um, like that example in First Timothy, have been slightly changed to favor men and to try to erase women. Uh, there's also an example of a, there's a passage where Paul refers to a woman named Junius. That word is a female name. It's the name of a woman in the Greek, Junius. And he says that she is outstanding among the apostles. He names her as an apostle. Um, but later translators uh, changed her name. Junia got a sex change. <laughs> she became a man. Uh, because they did not want they did not want the scriptures to contain an evidence of a woman who was an apostle. Um, in First Corinthians, very famously, there's a passage where at the very end of First Corinthians, where Paul uh, makes some pretty shocking statements about women, which, by the way, doesn't match everything he has said about women to that point. Up to that point, Paul has given instructions and said women women can prophesy in the church. Women, uh, all he cares about is whether they cover their heads or not. But he tells them to prophesy. He tells them. Uh, you know, to, to speak in the church, and yet he ends uh, 1 Corinthians, and if he's in chapter, um, hold on a minute, I think it's chapter 14, yeah, uh, and he says something really out of character and basically says that, um, that women uh, should not speak in the church. And, um, I mean, he says these horrible things about women uh, that really make no sense. He says they are not allowed to speak. Women, women are not allowed to speak. They must be in submission, he says, as the law requires. Now, the problem with that statement is that Paul, being a Pharisee of Pharisees, knew very well that there is no law at all that ever says women cannot speak in the church or in the, in the synagogue, in the, in the assembly. So we know that that's not Paul's because Paul knows that that isn't something the law teaches. Uh, so what's happening in that case is First um, Corinthians is a letter, is a response letter. In other words, he tells you in, in the book of First Corinthians, he tells you, he says to them, hey, uh, thank you for the letter you sent to me, and this letter I'm sending to you right now is an answer to the questions you asked me. So all throughout the book of First Corinthians, Paul is quoting their question that they asked him, and then he's answering their question. 
And this is what's happening in that passage. He's quoting what they said to him. And here's also why we know that this isn't Paul, it's Paul's words, because right after that part, uh, and again, your English translation will probably not have this word, but this word exists in the Greek, uh, but it's missing in our English translation. And it's right after that sentence where he says, it is, it is disgraceful for a woman to speak in the church. And the very next word is this, what? And then it continues, did the word of God originate with you? Or are you the only people it has reached? If anybody thinks he's a prophet or spiritually gifted, let him acknowledge that what I am writing to you is the Lord's command. Well, what was it he wrote to them? Everything before that, where he told them that women could prophesy, where he told them that women could speak, where he told them that women would be free to use their gifts, along with men side by side in the body of Christ when they come together. And so by taking out that exclamation of what? It, see, it makes that passage appear that everything that's being said is exactly what Paul believes, but it isn't. He's, he expresses shock and surprise that they would even see such a thing. And these kinds of things, by the way, uh, I'm not going to go into more examples, but these kind of things are all through our scriptures. And if we don't know about it, it's very easy for us to get confused. And it's also very easy for pastors and ministers to use these scriptures to teach things that really, honestly— Paul and Jesus and the early church did not believe. I, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I got to tell you, I'm, I'm flabbergasted because I thought, not, I'm not as knowledgeable as you with the details, but I thought I was amongst a very select few who realized that there's just stuff happening that they're teaching in the churches that has nothing to do with what Christ was about or the early church was about. And okay. I'm just so happy that you're spending the time to explain this to, to, to my listeners because it's one thing for one person to say something. It's something for someone else who is definitely a scholar in this mm-hmm. area to come out and reinforce that, hey, when you read this stuff, you have to understand that there are mistakes where they come from, why they come from, where nobody's making allegations, but we have to be aware. Because, mm. I, like, uh, what is it, Galatians 3? It says uh, uh, that there's neither Jew nor G- Gentile, male nor female, bondsman nor slave in the kingdom of God. That speaks to equality. So yes. why is it that we have denominations teaching that women are like, second-class people in the kingdom of God. Mm-hmm. Oh, exactly. No, exactly. That's really, uh, and it's really what makes me upset is to see that um, a handful of passages have been altered and changed in this way. And then, like you said, they ignore all of these other things uh, that Jesus said and did, that Paul legitimately said and did, and that we know historically the early church did. Um, and, you know, but again, you have to understand the changes. I, do, I personally don't think they are accidental. I think they are very intentional because um, it's, it's, it's a way of using power over people. It's like, let's use this scripture. Let's, let's teach us a certain way. Let's change these certain, certain words. And, and uh, because then it means the men can run the show. We don't have to share anything with women. Uh, we can subjugate people in the homosexual community. We don't have to treat them as, as equal uh, because we're going to just add these words in, you know, <laughs> You know, people sometimes will call me a liberal or say I'm, uh, I'm a liberal, I'm progressive or something, as if, as if what they mean is, oh, you're just like, you're just taking stuff that you want to believe 
and you're shoving it into mm-hmm. the scriptures because it, it, it fits what you want to believe. No, that's what pe- other people have done when they put the word homosexual in the Bible when it wasn't in there. And that should make you mm-hmm. upset. It should bother you that someone took a word and put it in your English Bible, and it's not there in the Greek. And they did it not because it fit the scholarship, but it fit because it fit their agenda. It fit what they wanted it to say. Um, and again, there's so many other problems beyond that. I mean, there's lots of those kinds of problems. The other problem is there's just certain things about the way people in the first century wrote, the way they talked, the way they communicated um, that we don't get. And so we tend to take all of it at face value. We don't understand things like apocalyptic hyperbole, which Jesus uses all the time. And it's never, ever intended to be taken literally. It's always meant to be figurative, metaphorical. It's overstating something on purpose to make a point. Um, And then there's also the book of Romans, which the average Christian is, I think, unable to read if they do not understand uh, a technique of argument that Paul uses called prosopopoeia. Prosopopoeia is an argumentation method that many people in the first century used when they wrote uh, something to make a point. And Paul uses it beautifully in Romans. And what that means is uh, Romans is not one voice. It's not – the book of Romans is not everything Paul thinks. Paul is actually engaging in a mock debate with another teacher of the law. And so the teacher of the law voice will say one thing, and then Paul will refute it. And it's a conversation back and forth between a teacher of of the law, which really – In some ways, you can look at it like this. It's Saul before he's met Christ, and it's Paul after he met Christ. And he's having this argument with with both sides, right? He's arguing with the Saul that was the Pharisee of Pharisees uh, who kept the law and all these things. But he's also then trying to refute it as Paul the apostle who's been transformed by Christ and correcting these things. So this, again, is the problem. If you just open the book of Romans and stick your finger in there and and read any random verse and say, right here, Paul says this. If you don't understand prosopopoeia, you're probably quoting something that Paul is saying in the voice of a teacher of the law that a few verses later he's going to refute. He's going to show how that guy is wrong. And if you don't understand that, you're going to completely misunderstand what Paul's trying to say in Romans. So all of these kinds of things make it very difficult for the average Christian to just read the Bible uh, at face value and understand it. And, but if you do, once you do understand these things, it is much easier. I, I appreciate you taking the time to explain in detail. You know, my first career out of university was a high school teacher, and you're doing a grand job. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. I want to thank you. You're doing a grand job, you know, for people to understand that, you know, and I, I explain this to folks. If you speak two languages, like I'm, I'm, I, my, my primary language is English. I do speak Spanish. There are phrases in Spanish that if you translate them literally the way they're written, they don't mean what they mean in Spanish. And, and so you have these issues, you know, in translation or going from an era, as you're speaking about in Paul's time, you know, to the era of the 2020 or the 1960s or the 1800s or the whatever. We've got a few minutes left. I want to touch on some of these other uh, areas uh, that, 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 that we have on our list to kind of get into here. We've got about, say, about five minutes, maybe six. Uh, you, you mentioned, um, um, I have a question here. Let's, let's talk about uh, in your Jesus Unbound. You, you've already spoken about being 
uh, Jesus-centric versus the, the flat Bible, Bible approach. We, we've covered that. And being biblical versus Christ-like, we've covered that. Uh, just, again, people, bear with me. I'm old school. <laughs> uh, okay. Um, does the New Testament teach us to read the scriptures through the lens of Christ? And then the next thing I really want to get into, we've already talked about uh, 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 elevating the Bible over Christ. Very quickly, uh, just that. And then I really would sort of, we have two points, which is who wrote the Bible and what does it mean when, when we say the Bible is quote-unquote inspired? Maybe we should deal with that because we don't have a lot of time left. Who okay. wrote the Bible, and is it inspired? Oh, these are two of my favorite questions. Well, let me just be really, really obvious and honest, and once I say this, I hope no one uh, misunderstands what I'm saying, and you could nod your head and say, of course, Keith, you're right. And here it is. God did not write the Bible. We did. People wrote the Bible. We need to understand that. That is such a simple, basic statement of fact. God did not write the Bible. People did. And, and we need to understand that because, I mean, sometimes I'll even ask Christians, um, was, was Paul the apostle infallible? Could Paul the apostle have ever been wrong about something? Or could he have written something when he was young, and then a few years later as he grew in Christ and Maybe he could write something else later on that he would have learned something different. And could he have learned something and maybe even changed his mind about something? And we need to understand that. These are, these are people. The people wrote the Bible. And it doesn't mean that they're wrong, but, I mean, uh, to say that Scripture is God-breathed, well, guess what? I'm God-breathed. You're God-breathed. Every human being is God-breathed. Does that mean I'm inerrant or infallible? No. <laughs> so let's, let's just understand that. And real quick, I want to explain that I love that question. What does it mean to say the scriptures are inspired? Uh, this is a true story. Uh, this really happened to me. And so if I was driving in my car and I was listening to the radio, not even the Christian radio, just a regular old radio station, and a song comes on the radio and the words of this song just start touching my heart, I feel like the Holy Spirit is speaking to me through the words of this song. I just start weeping. God is healing me, transforming me, changing me, speaking truth to me. Oh, my gosh, thank you, Jesus. What a beautiful truth. Thank you, God. I needed that. And, I, and I'm driving to your house, Richard, and when I get to your house, I walk in the front door with tears in my eyes, and I say, Richard, let me tell you what just happened. I was driving in the car. I heard this song on the radio. It wasn't even a Christian song, and God spoke to me through these words, and let me tell you what he did to me and how he blessed me. That song, Richard, was inspired. Now, Richard, if you said to me, Keith, is that – now, wait a minute, Keith. Did God write that song? Well, no, God didn't write that song. That's not what I said. I said the song was inspired. Well, hold on a minute. Is that song inerrant? Is that song infallible? No. That's the stupid – why would you ask me that? That's, those, those things have nothing to do with whether or not God, the song was inspired. And what, So inspiration means this. God, the living God, spoke to me in my spirit through that song or through that scripture verse, or through that poem, or that conversation I had with my friend at Starbucks, you know, and he said something to me, and boom, it just shot into my heart, and I knew that was God speaking to me through my friend. Those things are inspiration. That is what we should mean and think of when we think of saying that the scriptures are inspired, and I have to quickly say there's a scripture that everybody always turns to, right, that says, 
all scripture useful for correction, teaching, rebuke, reproof, and all these things, right? But here's again, we talked a minute ago about how certain words in our English translation are, are things are changed. I'm telling you, go look that up in the Greek, and I'm going to tell you something right now. The word scripture does not appear in that verse. And yet in the English translation that you read, you and I are reading in our Bibles, it says all scripture is God breathed. But that's not the word for scripture. In the Greek, it's the word graphis, which is the very common word for writing. So actually what that verse really says in the Greek is this, all God breathed writings are useful for teaching, instruction, reproof, correction, etc. So now you would ask, well, how do I know then if something, if it's just any writing that, that God can use to do that, then how do I know what are the God-breathed writings? It's so simple. Did, that, did the, that writing that you read, did it teach you something? Did it rebuke you? Did it reprove you? Did it somehow draw you nearer to Christ? Guess what? That, that writing that you just read was inspired. And that's the way we need to look at uh, inspiration, not just those 66 books we got bound in Corinthian leather sitting on our shelf or on our lap at church. Uh, yes, that, but not only that. God is not limited to what we have bound together in that book. Um, God is, has never stopped speaking. His spirit has never stopped teaching and moving in, in his people. He loves us. He speaks to us. Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. My people can hear my voice. He is more than capable of communicating to us, and he does it all the time. Well, Keith, I gotta, I gotta tell you, you've, you've, you've basically closed out the show. That's a <laughs> <Thank> wonderful <you. laughs> way. <laughs> that is a perfect way to close out the show. That it's not just scripture; it's experience. It's, it's mm-hmm. people. The spirit speaks to us through, through people, through experiences, through just all sorts of different ways. Documents that are not in the Bible, quote unquote. Etc. 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 Because everybody's walk with God is a unique journey, walking in the Spirit, and we have to understand that. And I think that's yeah. exactly a wonderful place for us us to close out. So let me very quickly. It's wonderful to have had you on on the call tonight on our broadcast. This is Keith Giles. Uh, www.keithgiles.com K-E-I-T-H-G-I-L-E-S dot com You want to look for, look him up uh, And let's see You've got some courses that you've got out there 30 seconds, tell us about your course And then we're going to close out Yeah, I do, and you can find out uh, about that through, You follow me on Twitter or Facebook But I have a course called Square One That helps Christians or people that are maybe Struggling with their faith to go from questioning and doubting their faith to founding ways to rebuild their faith outside of traditional Christianity. Uh, that's called Square One, and that starts June 29th. Uh, and I also have books based on my, my books as well. So uh, anyone interested in those, you can look them up or contact me. I'd love to help you uh, find out more about them. All right. Well, we've run out of time. Uh, Keith Giles, four-time best-selling author, uh, I just, again, it's an honor to have had you on our broadcast. This is Dr. Richard Gladiator Johnson. We're closing out another installment of PowerPoints of Victory. Remember what I say at the close of every one of my broadcasts. Don't you let anybody that's given up on their walk, on their dreams, talk you into giving up on yours. Good night, everybody. Good night, Keith. Good night, Roz. Good night. God bless us all.
Things are finally coming around 